Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Jane Long, and my family and I live in Herndon. We've been a part of this church family the last six or seven-ish years, and I count it an enormous uh, privilege, and I'm so grateful that it has allowed uh, me to intersect with so many of you guys through whether it's like women's Bible studies or just knowing your kids because of mine um, and um, all kinds of ways. And you got to watch out for me because even if those intersections aren't organic, I'll come and find you <laughs> and try to make you my friend. So anyways, um, I love being here. I love God's word. So we are going to read today from John chapter 6 verses 1 through 15 and verse 35, if you want to follow along. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to, be, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's word. Thank you, Jane. Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and open your Bibles there to John chapter 6. We'll spend most of our time in those first 15 verses. Uh, and something interesting about Jesus is that oftentimes uh, when he does something like this and he makes our jaw drop, he'll do some explaining a little bit later on uh, to tell us what he's getting at. And so we'll, we'll also dive into the second half here of John uh, chapter 6. And all the verses I will reference, thanks to Dolores, they are in the digital bulletin this week. So don't fret if you can't write them down. Stay with me. Somebody said that if you don't stay with, with Pastor Blake, you look up and he is gone. All right? So bread in the ancient world, though, meant food. That's mainly what they ate. That's mainly what they, what they sustained themselves on. They didn't have cheesecake factory type options. Uh, they didn't have a Trader Joe's. Uh, it was like, here's your bread, and it's not even gluten-free, okay? But bread means a few things in Scripture. Uh, and the first thing it means is this. It means 
sustenance. <clears throat> the first bread in the Bible is the manna that God supplied to sustain his people uh, when they were in the wilderness. That's in Exodus 16.4. Bread is also about relationship. From Exodus 24, verse 9, Moses brings all 70 elders up to the top of Mount Sinai and says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And what do they do? They eat bread. And lastly, uh, bread is about the presence of God. In the tabernacle, you know what was there? Bread. Twelve oven-fresh hot loaves made daily. Now, the priests would eat those, and they got replaced every day. That was called the show bread. And it represented that God was with them always. You can see that in 1 Samuel 21.6 and Exodus 29.32. But even today, it's still about the bread. Now, I mentioned last week that I spent some time in Israel, and I did spend time in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, that's from Jesus' time and before. Uh, and one of the things that struck me about the old city was the bread. The bakers were all up before dawn. Families were sending uh, kids down to the, to the bakery there to get their bread for the day. That's what they ate all day, their daily bread. And Anne Marie knows that. You know, she's been there a number of times. We have a, a trip to Israel even that goes from sea to run. So you can see Anne Marie Von Call about that if you want to see the old city. Uh, but what we're going to see this morning, though, is how God created bread not only as the joy and nourishment of food, but also as an illustration of what it meant to be satisfied and sustained in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning we're looking at three baskets of bread, three bread baskets, if you will. The first basket is this, the bread of life, and the second basket is the bread we eat, and lastly, the last bread basket is the bread we want. So the bread of life, the bread we eat, and the bread we want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for the worship today. I thank you for singing that. Why would we ever want to hold on to that which we can't keep, Lord, that kind of bread, where we can have the bread of life? I pray, Heavenly Father, you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears so we would see, hear, and understand what it is you would say to us about you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first basket this morning is the bread of life. Because bread is ultimately not just a delicious basket of Aussie rolls from Sweetwater to munch on as you wait for dinner, okay? Uh, it's a symbol that points to Jesus. And if you go down to verse 32, Jesus is explaining to everybody uh, that he is the bread, uh, and he tries the light touch first. Listen to what it says in verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then you can see Jesus kind of winking at them. Get it, guys? But they're still, they're, they, they hear this. They're like, in verse 34, give us this bread. What's this bread you're talking about? We have to have it. So they don't understand what he's saying yet. And, and I imagine Jesus, could Jesus get exasperated? But in verse 35, if he was exasperated, thinking, no, 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 I am the bread of life, you guys. But if you go to verse 27, there's something that explains the type of sustenance that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus offers as bread. Because he's talking about more than hunger of food here, okay? Listen to verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So the result of having that bread 
having Jesus as your bread is eternal life. And that's pretty good, right? I mean, eternal life is great. We get to go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus. But it's even more than that. Because the Greek word for life here is zoe. Which means not just the aspect of being alive in our physical existence. But zoe means a quality of life within that existence. If it was just existing, functioning, alive biologically, the word would be bios. So life as bios is like Dr. Frankenstein saying, it's alive. It was alive, all right. But only in the most physical and rudimentary way. But Zoe, Zoe life. That's like saying what my daughter said one time when we got upgraded on summer vacation to, to like the most expensive villa, villa on St. Simon's Island. We're sitting on the rooftop terrace watching the sun go down, and she kicks her feet up on the, on the table and says, ah, this is life. That is Zoe life. Okay, that is quality of life. Now, in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the bread of life, the bread of Zoe here, Jesus does, just doesn't bring us into eternity with God, which is pretty good. But this bread of Jesus is if we have him, if Jesus is our sustenance, we take him down to our core, Jesus as our bread, he brings us a quality of life that will never leave us lacking spiritually. Jesus is saying, what I have for you in life is incredible. If you will just treat me as your bread, you're going to live well. And listen, every human being is looking for that bread. Everyone. It's a theme of the culture, okay? Everyone struggles to find that, Zoe. Uh, what do we do with our life? Uh, you know, we're created to look for things that are um, to satisfy us, give us a meaning of our life. What's our purpose, right? But a lot of times what happens is we wind up chasing the wrong bread. So the bank balance, being super popular at school, being uh, on travel sports. And a lot of times, you know, we just keep chasing. Sometimes as parents, it's about, you know, the bread of life for me is having my kids live out the life I have planned for them. Now, young parents, close your ears, okay? Older parents will pray after service to see if this really works out, okay? But we, we find these, these little things that don't satisfy for long. And they satisfy us for a little bit while, but then we get hungry again. Because the problem, Christian, is we eat the wrong bread. That brings us to our second basket this morning, the bread we eat. Now back to the first 15 verses here, starting off in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now Jesus had gone to this place to get away from the crowds, actually. He wanted to spend some alone time with his disciples. But eventually the crowd gets on to this, and they chase him down. And Matthew says, as they're approaching, uh, Jesus, he saw the multitude and had compassion on them because they were as sheep with no shepherd. So Jesus knows they need to eat. He has compassion. We saw the compassion of Jesus last week when he healed the paralytic. And for, in verse 4 and 5, here's what it says. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? I'm going to skip 6 and 7 for now. We'll get back to that, but... 
And, he, and then one of the disciples here in verse 8, verse 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, barley loaves were not big loaves of uh, bakery fresh white mountain bread from Whole Foods. Do you guys know that I like bread? You figured that out yet? <laughs> barley loaves were the tiniest little silver dollar sized clumpy discs of bread that were for poor people. So this, was, this kid that they have, this little boy, is essentially in the free lunch program at school. Barley was also for sinners. Because according to the Mishnah, which is the commentary on Jewish law, adulterers had to give an offering of barley for their sins. So barley is for poor sinners. And the fish, they weren't these big, huge lake trout or big mouth bass. They were just little anchovy-like fish. They were pickled fish that they used to use to kind of smear on the dry bread uh, to, to make it slide down easier so they don't choke on it. Now, I grew up in South Florida. I had a lot of Jewish friends, and I'd go to their houses on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, and they would have bagels and lox. You guys know what lox is, right? That's a fish spread. Now, I like the bagels, but I was always like, hold the lox, please, okay? I'll go with the cream cheese, all right? But it's kind of like smearing those anchovies on that barley bread is what they're talking about here. So Jesus multiplies these so everybody has enough, but it's still, uh, it seems like it's going to be uh, slim pickings compared to the bread of life. But think of the little loaves, the little barley loaves we chase after in our lives, the things that we think are going to fill our belly, the signs that Jesus performs to the crowd, the healings even, those are all good things. But they point to something else. There were a sign that points to the bread of life. Those things we chase, those little barley loaves, they show something about us. They show a poorness of spirit and sin. Because there's an adultery in loving something more than Jesus. The low bar we've set for happiness, though, we settle for so little. And even then it's sin because we're loving something other than the bread of life with all of our heart and soul and strength. But Jesus said that his bread is the bread of Zoe. It meets the deepest needs of our soul. Now, we'll see in verse 15, they may have wanted to make him king because of what he provided for them, the signs they saw. And maybe they figured they can throw off the political oppression of the Romans, right? But you know what? That would have been huge, but it's still a little barley loaf compared to the bread of life. And they may have been happier for a while. I'm sure they would love to have um, the political oppression gone. But Jesus has a bigger plan. Instead of throwing off Roman oppression, Jesus, the bread of life, will throw off the oppression of sin itself. He says, I am your food. It's not my gifts and my healings and my signs. It's me that feeds your souls. Jesus becomes food for eternal life. It's a life worth living, that Zoe life, by laying down his very life. Verse 51 says this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. But the crowd and most people out there in the world, and sadly, many people within the church, we want to settle for our little, little barley loaves. But Jesus did not come into the world to fulfill our existing appetites. 
That's the mistake of the prosperity gospel, which is a complete and utter heresy. It leaves people untransformed, adulterous in what they want and crave. What Jesus is going to do here instead is he means to change our appetites, to change what we want, to make it about who we crave in Christ. It becomes not about what we want anymore, but who we want in Jesus. But the crowd wanted those lesser loaves, and they wanted to use Jesus to get what they really wanted. Listen to verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You know, Jesus may take compassion upon you and give you the little loaves that you ask for once in a while. But if you persistently ask for that, he will eventually withdraw from you. Now, you won't lose your salvation, okay? But if you want the kind of bread that brings the little loaves, the kind of king that brings those little loaves, he pulls back. If, you're, if you feel distant from Jesus, if you're spiritually stuck and you feel you haven't heard from the Holy Spirit in a while, maybe it's because you've been trying to make Jesus a lesser king, one that really reports to you and is there so you can rub the lamp and get what you ask for, and it's not him. So how do we get to the point where Jesus finally gets through to our thick skulls like the crowd there? Give us this bread. What's this bread you're talking about? And, they, and they're coming along in verse 28. They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're on the right track. But Jesus said, believe in whom God has sent. He did the work. So how do we make Jesus the bread of our life? How do we really begin to believe with our heart and soul and believe and trust that he will truly satisfy us? How does Jesus become for us the bread that we want? And that's our last, last basket of the morning, okay? Let me read verses 5 and 6 to you. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Want to know who Philip is? It's us. In our passage, there's the disciples, and then there's the crowd. There's these two circles, and they meet right on the edge. The disciples are Jesus' own, and the crowd is there from the, for the signs. And Philip is the perfect representation of many of us. He's with Jesus, but he has his doubts. He lives in the overlap of being a disciple and being with the crowd. He's with Jesus, but on the outer edge of the disciples. So Philip is also like the father of the demon-possessed child. When Jesus casts out the demon, this guy is dumbfounded. He says in Mark 9, 24, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. He's got a dual nature. Philip has seen Jesus work. He knows that Moses provided food through God's manna. And in fact, what did Philip just watch Jesus do? They all had just watched Jesus walk on water, all 12 of them. So he knows for sure that Jesus is the new bread. And if you're here as a Christian, you know that Jesus is the bread too. And maybe Jesus has acted mightily in our lives. Maybe he's changed the water into wine. Maybe he's healed us, and yet we are still like Philip. Where do we get our bread? Where do we get that much bread that will fulfill us and satisfy us? It takes a lot of bread. This is a test of Philip by Jesus, and it's a test of trust. Philip got tested, and we get tested. And like Philip, he's doing the math in his head. 
200 denarii. And that was about a, about a year's salary, a little bit less. But he's saying, we could spend $75,000 in Nova, Nova money or whatever, and we won't have enough to give them the tiniest bite. And we do the math in our lives all the time. We're always doing the number crunching up here. And it never really adds up that Jesus could ever be the bread like that. So much bread, so abundant bread to us. We doubt. We doubt that Jesus could ever be the main course and really filling spiritually. And, you know, we do talk about how much we love Jesus, but when push comes to shove, if you think about it, and if we're honest with ourselves, we mostly trust other things to fill us. We secretly doubt that going all in with Jesus will satisfy us like the life I've dreamed up for myself. I've got plans. You know, the little barley loaves, maybe a Lexus, pre-owned, practical, maybe a McMansion, maybe early retirement. Maybe it's getting all AP classes or travel sports or more follows and likes, or maybe uh, it's getting that new PlayStation 5 Pro. Yeah. Now, you know I had to go to Zach on a Friday night for that one. I go, what's the most modern video game you can think of? Is it an Atari? <laughs> but those are our little barley loaves topped off with a few anchovies of self-esteem to make it all slide down easier. But Jesus is going to test Philip. He's going to take him just outside his trust zone, just like he takes us outside our trust zone. Because if God only took us to the point where we trusted him, we would never grow, would we? So our response when Jesus tests us, when he says, how will all these people eat? So what's our response? And this is what we do a lot of this, is we try to use our own resources. We start crunching the numbers. 200 denarii, our own cognitive abilities. We're Philip doing the math. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to follow the text. How about that? We're going to follow the text for some tips on how we can grow with Jesus as our bread, how we can grow in the trust of Jesus as our bread. I can sum it up in one short sentence here. Sit down and sit still. Sit down. In verse 10, have the people sit down. And they obeyed. So it's not really sitting down. But if Jesus tells you to do something, what do we do? We do it, yes. The first step is obedience. Are you obedient to Jesus, who is the word of God personified? When your trust or your faith fails, uh, the response is to simply obey. When you're failing in faith and trust, just obey. Are you doing what the word says? Are you rooting the sin out of your life? Because faith and trust only grow through obedience. So if your faith and trust are failing, maybe you're not as obedient as you think you were. So sit down. And next, sit still. The whole idea of, sit, of staying still in Northern Virginia, you know, we're all energetic and expending all of our energy and all of our worry and our anxiety. We're using all of our personal resources and abilities to make something happen, to get people to like us. And Jesus says, Sit down and sit still and see what happens with the resources that I provide. Even if it's just five small little loaves. And when your faith is failing and you agree to sit down and sit still, when you agree to obey, a few things start to happen. First, what Jesus provides will begin to be enough with extra in verse 13, it says they gathered up 12 baskets worth of leftovers. 
Do you think that Jesus is saying here, saying something here to his guys? Twelve baskets of leftovers, twelve apostles. They would need an illustration like that because they probably still didn't get it. So first, what Jesus provides will begin to be enough. Secondly, there will always be someone to help provide for your need, even if it's just a little boy with an Avengers lunchbox. That's a good amen. I like it. And you know what? That's why we stress community here at Cedar Run. We stress life groups here. If you're not getting the help you need, life groups are designed to do that. We care for one another. We provide for one another. We love one another. What part of the community here at Cedar Run are you a part of? So thirdly, even the small and obscure will be noticed. If you have just but a little bread and you're willing to serve, don't worry if you're as small as a little boy or a little girl in the crowd, okay? Just come forward. Lastly, be willing to part with what you have. That little boy would have had a great lunch just for himself, so he, but he gave it all up anyway so that everybody could eat. When you share with Jesus, not only do you still eat, but everybody else eats too. It's kind of like making our money here in Virginia. Let me see what I need to make for myself and my family and my retirement and my beach condo. And then I can tithe if there's a little bit left over. That's giving out of our richness. But Jesus calls us to give out of our poverty. When you bring your resources to Jesus, your needs get met and there is still left over. Tracy and I, we moved to Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia, the most expensive place in our mind in the world, from rural Florida. We had a little one-acre, $100,000 farmhouse, and we come to uh, South Riding, and we're like, $200,000 for a townhouse? That's a great deal now, by the way, all right? But Tracy was a stay-at-home mom for mo most of our marriage. We were a one-income family. I had no idea how I would get three kids through college, but by the grace of God, we were able to do that. And at the, at the same time as we're panicking about our income, we started getting serious about tithing. When you write a check every month for 10% of the median income in Northern Virginia, you're going to start to sweat and your hand's going to start to shake, okay? Because that is a lot of money. But when you do it, you will be liberated. Because the bread, that little barley bread, the bread of our bread, is no match for the bread of life. Don't hang on to what you can't keep for what you need in the bread of life. So you've got to look at Christ, our bread, differently. Every other religion or culture or society says, I will tell you how, where the bread is. I'll tell you how to find it. I'll tell you the way of life. And if you buy into that, what everybody else says is the bread, okay? And you think you find it, you're going to end up saying, look what I did. I found it. Then you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing that false bread, that little barley loaf. Only Jesus says, I am the bread. And the only work you will have to do he did it for you. The only work you have to do to get the bread of life is this in verse 29. Jesus answered them. This is the work of God. It's not your work. It's the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. God gave Moses the bread in the wilderness so that they might reach the promised land. And God gives us the bread of Jesus now so that we may reach another promised land in heaven. And on the way to that promised land, not only that, but that we might be nourished and grow into mature and faithful believers now. 
Now, if you're a Christian, if you're doing the work of believing, like it says in verse 29 says, that you can look at all the little loaves. Can, can you look at these little loaves as a Christian that used to be the bread for you? And can you say, you know, they're good things, okay, but now I can, I can let go of them a little bit. Are you loosening your grip on those little barley loaves over time? Is that becoming less and less of the bread for you as Christ becomes more and more of your bread? That's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But ask yourself. Here's a diagnostic. How upset do you get now when you don't get that fake little loaf of barley bread? Are you holding on to it more loosely? Are you getting less worried and upset when it gets taken away from you? If that's true, maybe you really are replacing one kind of bread for another, for a better life-giving bread. And you know the opposite is true, too. You could wrongly start to focus on the barley bread again as a Christian. Uh, and you know what that causes? It's loaded with gluten. It causes spiritual inflammation and all kinds of other spiritual digestive issues, okay? You know, we're going to taste the bread of Christ today. We're going to be taking communion. And in Scripture, at the Last Supper, it says, Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks. The bread had to be broken so you wouldn't be. That's what Jesus offers you. You need to eat every day. Moses uh, got manna for one day. That's what Jesus offers you. You need to eat every day. You need Jesus every day. Just like food gives us strength in life, so does the bread that is Jesus. Moses' manna had to be gathered only on a daily basis. It couldn't be hoarded. And in the same way, going to Jesus once a month, even if it's twice your Devo time, is not going to work. You need Jesus every day. He needs to be your daily bread. Verses 53 and 54 say this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no Zoe. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, has the Zoe life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Part of what we do today represents Jesus as the bread of life, and the other part, the wine, represents the blood washing away our sins, so we can have that life. Zach's going to come up now, and he's going to begin to play a little bit. And in just a moment, Pastor David and I are going to come down to the front with the elements, the bread and the juice. We still have them in little containers, but we're going to do something different, something different at Cedar Run. It's actually something old, too, okay? We're going to ask you to come up to receive communion today, okay? So... Pastor David and I will stand at the, at the head of the rows here, at the head of the aisles, and from the back forward, the ushers will release you. You'll come up, uh, and you'll grab one of the little elements in the container, okay? Once you've taken those elements, you can bring them back to your seat, and you can take your time and partake there back at your seat. Don't partake here, because you'll be working that little thing for about five minutes trying to get that lip up, okay? That's good prayer time. You know, we stopped doing this during COVID, though, but we think this is an important part of communion. Walking up to the front and taking the elements is a physical sign of ascent. That you come to Christ of your own free will for the bread of life. Free will and volition and want him to be your bread of life. Now the kids are in with us today, parents, right? You know where your kids are spiritually, okay? If they've given their life to Jesus and you know that, then they should come up and partake. If they haven't or you're not sure, then they should just stay in their seat. Because there's only one reason that anyone should not partake of communion if you're not a Christian, all right? Here's what Paul, Paul says, if you do that, if you come up here and take the elements and you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Christ as Savior, Paul says you are eating and drinking condemnation upon yourself. 
And what you're saying is that you believe Jesus died for your sin, but that you don't want or need his sacrifice. You're affirming that he is a savior, but not your savior. And you condemn yourself because you affirm your own unbelief. So take a few minutes as Zach plays, and David and I will get the elements, and you'll be able to come when you're ready. We'll do it by rows, back to front, and then return to your seats around the sides, okay? Okay.